This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 110 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you're listening on free feeds, Please be sure to leave a rating and or a review, share it on social, whatever you want to choose. It helps other folks discover it. Go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. You can check out the merch store over there and more. But don't forget that the very best experience is only found at patreon.com forward slash the best seats where you can sign up at a monthly amount um, subscriber level that makes the most sense to you. That is where you get exclusive access to each and every bonus episode. You're going to get a lot more exclusive features. The pass is returning on February or first week of February, um, as well as upcoming announcements for the new show. I know what you did last Sunday, where we are going to be relieving all the scary stories from your Sunday scaries and beyond. But let's talk about episode 110. Um, I'm a lover of wine. Um, I'm, I'm by no means a small yay. Everything I know is self-taught, but I really love it. Um, I don't just love drinking it like so many people kind of do as soon as you reach adulthood, because God knows we all need it with everything going on in the world. But I'm a really a lover of great producers. Um, anybody who's listened to my shows in the past knows that I'm an advocate for small producers. Um, I'm a big fan of the natural movement, but I'm just a big fan of people who make great stuff. Um, I was fortunate enough to go on some wine trips recently that really kind of reinvigorated my love for it. And that's why I was so excited when Postino Wine Cafe, which recently opened up in Irvine, um, touched base with me. I knew that they had opened up. I was planning on going over there anyway, but serendipitously, their team reached out. And that was when my guest ended up getting scheduled to come on the show. My guest is Brent Karlacek. Now, Brent is the beverage director um, for Upward Projects. Now, Upward Projects is the parent company of Postino Wine Cafe. Postino has locations in five different states, Georgia, Texas, Colorado, um, Arizona, and California. I believe those are all correct off the top of my head. Pretty proud of myself right now, not going to lie. Uh, Brett is somebody who I could not have been happier that this kind of serendipitously worked out where I wanted to go check this place out, check out a brand new wine cafe for myself who doesn't want to do that. And then he expressed interest coming on the show. He's an amazing guy. He is through and through a wine lover and advanced sommelier, but more than that, he's an advocate. Um, their wine list, when you look around, when you look around Orange County, especially, you could probably count on one hand. If you close your eyes, you could imagine what names you're going to see on a wine list. You know what wineries, you know what producers, you know what winemakers, etc. Postino is not that. It is lovingly curated, presented in a way that you can stop in. And whereas most menus, you have a limited selection of buy the glass options here. You have 30. You can get bottles, too, if you wish. But you have 30 fantastic options from small producers in California to small producers over in Italy, Austria, 
all over the place. Brent is somebody who doesn't just know wine. He lives it. He breathes it. He loves it. He adores it. His passion for it is infectious and his knowledge for it is envious. And it's something that I really am so happy that I got to spend time talking to him about. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Um, at the time of this recording, Postino is maybe a month, two months old. I mean, it's very much a baby. So if you're in the area, please go check it out. If you're listening in one of the surrounding states that I mentioned, go check it out in your respective state. You're going to have a great time. The price points are phenomenal. The food options are delicious, but the wines are going to knock your socks off. So let's dive in to episode 110 of the Best Seeds podcast as we talk all about those wines and more with my guest, beverage director, advanced sommelier, and all-around wine guru, Brent Karlacek. Enjoy. Brent, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down on the show. Um, I want to talk about a lot of different things, specifically your background in wine, how you got into this, but uh, for the sake of this podcast and where it's located geographically, we will talk about Postino Wine Cafe, which has recently opened up in Irvine at the time of this recording. I want to say less than two months, give or take, so very much a baby. But before we dive into that, would you mind introducing yourself and giving a little bit of your background? Crawford, thank you so much for having me on the show and for the opportunity to talk about Postino. Uh, my name is Brent Karlicek. I am the beverage director for Upward Projects and Postino Wine Cafe, and uh, and I'm a man who's very passionate about the wine. I can tell. Um, I was fortunate enough recently to check out Postino, had a really wonderful time there, great experience. Um, wine cafes, and especially when it comes to Orange County, but California in general, I mean, this is the land of wine. I mean, we, we love it. Anybody you talk to, they're going to be an expert, even if they are not an expert, but they will act like an expert regardless. Um, every place you seem to go to, it's the wine list that a lot of Californians tend to look at first. You're somebody that does have a lot of experience in the area and kind of the region up here. How did you get into kind of your expertise about wine to begin with before we dive into the restaurant itself? Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, very organic beginnings. I actually grew up uh, back east just outside Boston. And my parents uh, traveled a lot when I was young. And I knew if I threw a party when they were away, there would be evidence. People would know about this. The yep. neighbors would tell. But I, I knew that I could have some friends over. We could cook some dinner and we could get away with it. And whenever we cooked together, there was wine around the house and uh, we'd open a bottle, we'd all have a glass and my parents would come back from their vacation and say, what is up with this open bottle of wine? What happened here? And we'd say, well, wine is food. Wine belongs on the table. It's an essential part of the experience. And I think I said that enough times where I really convinced myself of that truth. Um, that's the beautiful thing about wine. You know, that passion for, for the vine uh, expanded when I found my way to California. And uh, I had the, the great pleasure of spending a few summers uh, in Santa Barbara and uh, working at a, a restaurant where there was, uh, you know, beginnings of farm to table. Uh, fishermen would drop off a cooler with the catch of the day. And the wine list, while it was very short, it was abbreviated, everything was from Santa Barbara. And it provided me this opportunity to fall in love with wines that spoke of a, of a place, God, love Santa Barbara, love California, um, but also to uh, to share that with guests, right? And to talk about what was special and unique about Chardonnay in Santa Barbara versus a glass of Chablis that they might've had recently, or you know why it was amazing to have Pinot Noir from, um, 
from a vineyard in uh, the Santa Rita Hills versus uh, versus Burgundy. And um, it was a really wonderful way to connect with um, the idea of a place being translated through the glass. Um, then I found my way to Arizona and I, I came across a, an amazing couple named Bob and Robin Trick who had a restaurant called House of Tricks open for about 35 years, just unfortunately closed this past year. But um, they were wonderfully passionate uh, chef and hospitalitarian and created a very workshop-like environment for both the, the culinary and hospitality teams and really got some some wonderful mentorship from them over the years and uh, the opportunity to taste more, to learn more, to travel a bit. Uh, and that led me eventually to uh, connecting with my amazing family at uh, Pacino Wine Cafe. Well, first and foremost, obviously heart goes out to them with so many restaurants that were hit for different reasons post-2020 and kind of moving forward. You always hate to hear, especially with a legacy like that of 30 some odd years. So a quick sidetrack to kind of pour one out for them. Um, I'm somebody who I deeply love Santa Barbara wine country, especially I'm actually at the time of this recording, working on a story for it that will run in newspapers out here, but it's a place that's very near and dear to my heart. And one of the things that I really loved when I sat down at Postino was it was not the same wine list that you see across most restaurants, especially here in California. You know, there weren't those kind of stations of the cross that you have to have. You must have this Chardonnay. You must have this cab. And I'm not going to name anybody by name, but I think everybody can kind of close their eyes and put on one hand those exact kind of wineries that we're talking about. And there's nothing wrong with those. They're delicious and well-known for a reason. But the, the variety, especially out of a place like Santa Barbara, how nice is it as a wine lover who gets to kind of paint with that palette? When you're putting together a wine list, how do you go about it? What is the process from selecting the bottles to getting them in the glass, training the staff, et cetera? Gosh, Crawford, we could talk about that for about five hours, not 30, not 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, it's fascinating for us. We have a, a few different wine programs that we're talking about. And really the core is the by the glass program. It's, you know, nearly 30 selections mm -hmm. through spark white rosé and red. And uh, we're really panning the globe with that. We're trying to, you know, find this intersection between, uh, you know, the exceptional and uh, and the accessible right and while we don't have necessarily some of those uh, producers or brands that you might be expecting to find all over the place we really do try and create a program that layers you know wines that are going to appeal to a guest that's looking for a, a fairly classic california style of chardonnay while also offering something from Washington that comes from these caliche limestone soils that are very similar to Burgundy and it has more, you know, spine and, and uh, salinity to it. So it's really about making sure that we have the right wines so that a guest can feel comfortable with the varietal and the place and their shoulders can drop and they can feel like relaxed and in the moment while also showcasing those varietals and those places that for you and for me, we get super excited about. We're lit up about the opportunity to explore a new expression of, uh, you know, Norella Mascalese from Mount Etna or uh, Ayuritigo from uh, Nemea. Well, right when I sat down, one of the things that I noticed, um, and I'm a big proponent of this, is accessibility in the wine industry. You know, I, I, I kind of spoke jokingly beforehand about how everybody especially out here in California is kind of that expert who may not be an expert you know they know what they like but they really only drink maybe one or two varietals and maybe from only a handful of producers 
But I got very excited when I sat down and I see a Sauvignon Blanc from Happy Canyon, which is going to give you this beautiful minerality and just wonderful, just kind of fresh grape notes. And for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, that's one of the AVAs in Santa Barbara, kind of wine county. But then you see wines that I want to say you had, you know, beautiful, like Austrian sparkling rosés, I want to say that was on this seasonal list. How do you go from the training standpoint? Because every not every server you hire is going to you know have that WACT or have basic SOM knowledge. They may not even know what a Graciano is. But how do you go about from the training aspect so that customers can come in and they do get to put their shoulders down and they're not intimidated? They're not going to see a lot of names they don't know and be like, oh, my God, just recommend something easy. How do you make sure that the guest interaction is great with that staff and everything is seamless so everyone can have a good time? I think it really starts with, you know, a word that you put out there, um, intimidation. I think in general, the environment that we're crafting is one that is hospitality first, that's that's open, that's authentic, that's comfortable, that's casual. Certainly there's an, there's an edge and there's a style to the space, um, but there's something that is so uh, warming and inviting about the space that I think helps to make that introduction and kind of soften those shoulders right off the bat. And when it comes to the menu, I mean, thinking about what's on the table, that you know, bright yellow, that golden yellow piece of paper, you know, with just the right amount of information on it to guide you through going from light, you know, through medium, through full in each one of the categories. Um, it's not an overwhelming number of selections, again, just 30 by the glass. Uh, I think off the bat, it's a comfortable place to start to explore. When it comes to the training of the team, we go about that in a number of different steps. Now, when we launch a new wine program in each one of the markets, we hold a classroom style education for about an hour and a half, and we invite vendors, whether they're local distributors, suppliers, importers, oftentimes winemakers, to come be a part of that tasting process. And they'll spend about 45 minutes speaking of each wine, you know, from the perspective of, you know, geography, geology, uh, climate, and then uh, the ethos and the culture, right? That's one step. But then we also uh, utilize what we call a an LXP, which is a learning experience platform. And this amazing resource allows us to upload not only, you know, technical information about each one of the wines, you know, a nice digestible blurb that helps you to, you know, connect with the fundamentals of the wine, but we can also utilize that for fascinating video content. And whether that's internally created or whether that's something we access from, you know, producer friends, it's a wonderful point for our team to be able to connect with that knowledge. But, you know, most importantly, it's about what we do on a daily basis. You know, the pre-shift for our restaurants in the morning, as well as in the evening before each shift, it's an opportunity to introduce the team to each, you know, wine or beer on the menu in a unique and fascinating um, dynamic way. Like for instance, we might pull up Google Earth at lineup and uh, we might, if we're speaking of Santa Barbara, perhaps we decide that we're going to search for Melville Winery, right? And yeah. then we're going to pop down, we're gonna see where Melville is, you know, in the Santa Rita Hills. We're gonna think about the influence of the Pacific Ocean that we can see off to the side. Think about you know the wind coming off of the ocean, maybe even the sea spray that you know is in the air that you know ends up on the grapes at some point, and how we can find that saline quality and those chardonnays coming from the property. Um, we really try and find a number of different innovative ways to um, connect with the team through wine, 
and uh, and oftentimes we we gamify it in a way that uh, that makes the whole experience um, energizing. I was during my time there. Um, I was nice enough to be able to kind of pull my server aside for a couple of minutes who could not have been better. And she was expressing her excitement with it. She's somebody that did not grow up around a lot of wine, at least not kind of outside of the area that, you know, we're referring to now. And she said that how much she enjoys, you know, pre-shift and things like that when you get to taste on something new and you're introduced to these new varietals and all of a sudden you're drinking wines from Know, Hungary and Austria and places you never even knew were producing such really good things. So I love, I loved being able to hear from your staff how much they do enjoy that and how much they're getting out of it as well. Because I think the more people we can convert to be good wine drinkers, I think the world's just going to be a happier place. Uh, you mentioned the wine programs. Now, obviously, Upward Projects, you guys have various different restaurant initiatives. But speaking here on Postino Wine Cafe, you know you're in five states. Um, I don't know off the top of my head how many different properties is the wine list for each location or each region different? Do you try to present different items to different kind of customer bases and palettes for that area? Oh, we do indeed. We do indeed. So speaking of the menus, you know, the, the buy the glass menu, which is the core, mm -hmm. so much of that program, we're really deeply connected to. And when I, when I say that, I mean that um, we're collaborating with some of our favorite winemakers around the world um, to craft wines, to blend wines, and to develop brands together that are unique and specific to Postino. So for instance, um, had a chance to visit Ernst Losen in Germany a couple of years ago, you know, amazing time in the muzzle and in the falls, um, but also uh, had the chance to you know, put together a few projects. And uh, we have a, a recently at the, the Postino location that you were at called Perfect, uh, that we're really proud of, strikes just the right balance of uh, acidity, minerality, uh, florality, and just a hint of, um, of residual sugar. Um, uh, as well as a, a rosé from Pinot Noir, from Schwedbergunder that we put together in the falls that's called Bloom. So um, you know, that sort of relationship exists with a, with a number of winemakers in California and Washington and South America and, and Europe. So those projects that we feel you know, so proud of and so connected to, we find in uh, all the Buy the Glass programs uh, nationally. But then each market has a percentage of these wines that are specific to it. Uh, in addition, you know, the bottle list for each posting location is representative of, you know, that specific site. And mm -hmm. certainly opening up in Irvine and Park Place Center, we're very excited to represent some Central Coast producers that we, you know, feel very connected to, uh, but also, you know, California as a whole. Yeah. When it comes to, I'm glad you brought up those up, kind of those labels that are made specifically for Postino. I actually tried that Riesling when I was there, loved it. I just thought it was absolutely delicious. So shout out to that team for making just a fantastic, fantastic glass of wine. Um, when we're talking about these smaller kind of producers, and, and I'll go back to Santa Barbara just because as a point of reference, we've kind of talked about it so far. Um, a lot of those wineries up there, a lot of those winemakers are not people that can allocate, you know, cases and cases around to a lot of restaurants. Allocation is a big deal across the hospitality industry in general, but especially when it comes to wine, how do you go about securing enough bottles for the kind of different locations? You know, Crawford, you, you really um, hit the nail on the head. You know, not only is it really important to us that, you know, we find producers that we love, you know, the ethos of, the style of, and that we're able to collaborate together and uh, uh, selfishly, that, um, you know, I have an opportunity to learn more about the winemaking process and the blending process and um, get to continue my education in that world. 
but it's also a, a smart move to protect uh, the supply chain. And I'll tell you that over the past couple of years, um, you know, logistics on a global scale have been uh, have been very challenging. And you know, our ability to uh, identify uh, a blend with a talented winemaker that we're deeply in love with. Our ability to create a brand and uh, and a you know a label and an energy and a vibe around that bottle that fits with you know the vibration we're trying to create inside our four walls, but then also yes you know ensuring that we have continuity that we have an incredible bottle of Chardonnay to pour for our guests you know for the next six months versus being concerned about um, access on a regular basis. You know, it's been uh, certainly one of the things we've had to work on um, increasingly as we've been scaling uh, over the past couple of years. When it comes to uh, we, we've mentioned the menus, but obviously, you know, the BTG by the glass is one aspect. But you mentioned just being able to have the bottles available for purchase as well. Um, you know, access to some of these wineries is something that a lot of people may not get outside of an experience like Postino. I mean, unless you're talking wine clubs or, you know, being able to travel to some of these locations kind of talk about that aspect a little bit of being able to not just have people come in and have a great experience, but if they wanted to come in and be able to get their hands on a couple of bottles, maybe they're running home for a dinner party or just a really bad Tuesday. Um, you know, how, what is that like for you guys to be able to offer people access to wines that are hard to get a hold of, frankly, for a lot of people? Yeah, I think uh, you're introducing a couple of concepts here, but like one, uh, you know, the on-premise off-premise piece is, is really significant for us. Like, that Postino can be a place where you know not only can you you know drop by for lunch uh, with with a friend with a buddy and catch up for a little bit that you could have happy hour with uh, with a group that you could have date night you know on Friday um, that you can get takeout uh, you know Sunday afternoon when you you just want to be a little lazy and and chill on the couch and watch a game um, the ability to to take wine. Uh, outside the building is is a key part of the Postino experience as we. Um, as we embrace your enjoyment at your house as well. Um, when it comes to the specific producers, uh, um, we're really geeky, Crawford. Like we, we really, really love wine and we really love the diversity of, um, of producer and varietal and terroir that's available out there. And you know, our life is really woven into that exploration, that understanding, that appreciation and uh, and through that um, deeply satisfying process, uh, we've identified what we think are you know, some of the most exceptional producers in whichever uh, growing region we might be talking about. And we feel an obligation to like bring those wines into the restaurants so that people have the ability to to understand like what's the benchmark, what's the benchmark for the island of Santorini, like what's the benchmark for Central Otago and the, you know, the South Island of New Zealand, what's the benchmark for Santa Rita Hills. Um, and I think we've done a really wonderful job building relationships, you know, over the past 15 years. And when it comes to, you know, access, not only are we, you know, trying to identify through travel, uh, through trial and error, you know, what really we think is exceptional, um, but I think we formed some great relationships that allowed us to, uh, to have access to uh, some of those highly allocated wines. So yeah, we're very proud that you can enjoy a, a very, comfortable and easy experience at the restaurant, but you can also take things to the next level. You know, you can drink some Premier Cru Burgundy, you can drink some Grover Champagne, there's whatever direction you want to go, there's there's a destination that's waiting for you. Are there wine club options for guests or anything like that? If they wanted to kind of really delve in and, and kind of get more geeky themselves? 
Yes, yes, we operate a wine club. It's called Wine Cult. Wine Cult. It's a subscription-based, you know, quarterly release of four selections. And it really ties into the, the wine culture I've been talking about already. Mm-hmm. It's um it's really supplied with some of these unique and proprietary wines that we're putting together with great friends. Uh, recently, our, our friend Kenny LeKipper-Kong at, uh, at Hobo Wine Company and Folk Machine helped us put together an Albarino from Lodi called Unamas that's fantastic in this last release. But we're really trying to create something special, unique, and, um, and eye-opening for the guests through that. The wines are amazing. They're incredible value, like ridiculous value. Uh, but also there's a component of wine cult that's called the vino vortex and for each release there's some outstanding educational and kind of fun social content that's tied into that release and you know if it's um a recent uh, wine box was called plated and poured and along with it you know each one of uh, the team members had a chance to supply one of their favorite recipes that would pair with you know that particular wine and um, i had a chance to to cook with my wife in our kitchen and do a little video content on one of our favorite recipes that goes with a, a cabernet that we produced for that box and uh, most recent box uh it's been called liquid mixtape and uh you know with that there's a number of playlists that have been put together so uh not only is it like really cool exceptional wine that's been created specifically for wine cult with really talented producers but there's a bunch of you know supporting cultural elements that uh that make it pretty cool to be in the club i love that that's awesome well it's time for a little commercial yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me relooking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloom potager. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, It's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code 
the best seats 15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now, it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. That's awesome. Um, we can't talk about wine without talking about food, obviously pairing things like that. All the food that I tasted was phenomenal. It's a really interesting menu because it seems like a lot of the ingredients work, at least from a back of house kind of cost production standpoint of kind of sharing certain ingredients with different dishes. All the food is incredibly approachable. It's, I mean, incredibly fast ticket times. I was even watching other tables come out and just bam, as soon as something hit the POS, it was like it was out in a couple of minutes. What's the relationship like with you when oh, you're putting these lists together? Awesome. <laughs> it was good, I promise. Um, but what's the relationship like from your standpoint, working with your culinary development team to make sure that there is kind of cohesion in the guest experience on the palate between the food and the wine? Love that question. Uh, I, I like a word that you used er, uh, earlier, and that's kind of shareable. Um, Postina menu is shareable, snackable. It's really built uh, for you to enjoy numerous dishes, and most importantly, yeah, to, to share with friends and with family, and to experience a number of different aromas, flavors, textures. Um, I think there's a lot going on. There's something for everyone. When it comes to that, you know, diversity of menu, the star of the show is really our bruschetta. Mm -hmm. And that's a board with, you know, beautiful ciabatta loaf that's been toasted and rubbed with garlic and olive oil and then topped with a number of different selections. You get to choose what you'd like out of, you know, 11 different options uh, that could pair with a number of different wine styles, depending on what you're having. But then we've got all these cool kind of roasted vegetable dishes, charcuterie boards, cheese courses, fantastic salads, panini, uh, oh, recently this um, roasted maitake mushroom dish. Love mushrooms. Yeah, that uh, was phenomenal. Mushrooms are the best. Um, so yeah, there's there's so much going on. So it's um, slightly more challenging to say like, hey, that we're you know creating wines to go with specific dishes because there's so many different flavors and directions. But what I can say is like as an ethos, we're constantly pursuing or producing wines that we think are they're fresh. Like they're elegant, they're food focused. We're really, you know, more about um, we're more about uh, finesse than we are about power. And uh, I think that creates an experience where you're you're really just excited for another bite and another sip. And uh, you know, as a whole, stylistically, things work together. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Um, selfishly speaking, and and we'll kind of elaborate this more on the on the exclusive kind of bonus episode that I'm going to keep you around for, but as somebody who's been so ingratiated in this world for so long, it's such a passion and, and just kind of a part of who you are. Do you have personal favorites? Do you have wines that have kind of made it on that list that you're like, man, I really love that one. That's my baby. That's got to get on there. Whether it's a great Albarino, it can be you know a, a Riesling, like you mentioned, that was put together specifically for Postino. I mean, are there any varietals or kind of regions that you really love and love to show off and kind of introduce guests to? Crawford. Uh, I know I that's a lie. really deep question to well, unpack yeah, no, how much time do we have uh, <laughs> we, we can extend it we're good trust me if it's no, we're talking um, about wine we got time the buy the glass program uh i gotta be authentic and say that like I, I feel deeply connected to all of it and even if it's that we're you know bringing um uh, a light crisp wine from uh from friuli to the forefront for a guest that's interested in something like pinot grigio mm -hmm. you know you 
you know, you know Bianco instead. Um, whether it's a you know a California Chardonnay expression with you know a small amount of oak to it and just the right amount of mallow and texture on the palate, um, or whether it's something you know really funky like a you know rosé of uh, Pinot Noir and Zweigelt from um, from the Trisental in Austria. Um, I I feel a deep level of soulful connection to every one of those wines on the program. But if you're asking me like at this exact moment, like today, what is the, you know, what am I after? Um, I'm really excited about the two Greek selections that we currently have on the By the Glass program. Um, you know, the Yea monograph Moscofilero, uh, Moscofilero from Mantinea in Greece. So aromatic and yet on the palate, so crunchy and vivid and refreshing. Uh, you know, that wine just, um, it's exactly the sort of thing I'm looking for at, uh, you know, around one o'clock in the afternoon, if I'm having the, maybe a little smoked salmon bruschetta. Um, and then the, the Ayuritico, uh, had a chance to spend some time in, uh, in the Peloponnese, uh, in Nemea with George Skouras a couple of years ago, my wife and I, and he took us around to all the vineyards for the day and, um, just fell deeply in love with Ayuritico as a grape and, you know, the combination of, of finesse and richness that it can offer savory elements that, that's, um, that Ayuritico just, you know, fits with so many dishes. Yeah. That was actually one of the other ones that I tried and I just found it beautiful. And again, introducing new grapes that people don't often see, there's something noble in that because there are a lot of different varietals out there and there's a lot of different things that people can try, you know, whether it's carignans and things like that. I mean, you can have a lot of fun. When it comes to kind of, and this is speaking kind of outside of the restaurant as a whole, but speaking to wine as a whole, there's a really big push right now between the traditional winemaking style and the natural style and kind of the way that that's evolved, whether you're talking about, you know, skin contact slash orange wines, however you want to describe them or pet gnats and really fun bubbly bottles like that. Personally, where do you stand on kind of that development of traditional versus natural versus the, you know, biodynamic, however people want to describe it, there is kind of that side that's taking off where you're seeing some younger drinkers kind of push more towards those kind of funky, you know, and I hate using that word funky, but again, some of those more, you do get that barnyardy and some of those real fun, different oh. flavors that you may not get, but where do you stand kind of personally on the differences of some of those styles? Oh, Crawford asking, asking the deep questions, ask, this is, this is a, uh, a challenging topic in the world of wine. Well, I want to so, say, cause I, cause I don't discriminate. I, if it tastes good, I'm going to drink it. And I do think that there are some things ethically that we could speak about to development, but with regards to, I guess, environmental impacts, but yeah, I'm curious kind of where you stand, especially as you're building these really nice curated menus. Man, I love the word that you used. Delicious. Delicious. This is fundamental, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, talking about, um, you know, natural wine, I guess it's a, it's a complex thing to unpack because there's so many different, um, ways that we can, you know, think about this, whether it's, you know, the level of sulfur that's in the wine, whether it's organic or, you know, biodynamic uh, farming practices, you know, hands-off kind of non-interventionalist winemaking. There's so many different ways that we can sort of talk about what's on the natural uh, end of the spectrum. No, I, I, I know I very much painted it with a wide brush for sure. No, 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 it's okay because it, it, it is, it is a wide spectrum, right? It's not, it's not this or that it's, it's a continuum. Where do you sit with um, what you're bringing to the world on that continuum? And uh, like you, um, I love wine that's made in a number of ways. I love wines that can be as hands-off and zero sulfur as possible 
And I like a number of wines that are rather traditional and that fit sort of a, a benchmark classic style that, um, that I'm an emperor with uh, and everything in between. I think as a general rule, you know, we're pursuing working with producers that um, that are intelligent, that are pursuing the best practices that they can. Um, you know, we're big fans of organic and biodynamic farming, but we also understand that you know, for a you know a family uh, whose existence is totally reliant upon a vintage coming to fruition, if you will, that if there's inclement weather and something happens and they have to. It's not going to be a vintage unless they pivot and they they do a little bit of uh, you know Bordeaux mixture or something of that nature. Like we we appreciate that, right? So I think it's about some it's about taking the the smartest path that's available to you at that moment. Um, I think what's been fantastic about the natural wine movement is the way in which it has turned our attention to the importance of both place and process. And also um, the way that it's been packaged, because I think there's something so fantastic about this uh, accessible, fun, playful energy that um, so many producers have brought to light. And you know, we certainly feel a connection with that. And it's one of the angles that we take and trying to forgive the language, indoctrinate a younger generation into the pleasure and joy and, and value of wine as part of one's life on a daily basis. So we have a great appreciation for the energy of the movement in that way. Um, and we work with a number of producers that, that sit in that camp. But uh, you hit the nail on the head. Um, wine is a way to experience a place through through your glass, right? Wine is uh, is a way to, to understand someone's ethos. Wine is meant to be consumed and wine should be delicious. And if it can be traditional and delicious, great. If it can be natural and delicious, great. We're, we're a fan of everything in between, but it must, it must bring pleasure. Well, I, again, I, I couldn't help myself but asking, as I know some, you know, it, and it comes down to the sommelier, it comes down to the expert, it comes down to the person, really. Some people prefer certain routes, but I completely agree. I think that that's the universal best approach is A, to support people making great stuff first and foremost. And if they're making it different ways, great. And as long as they're doing it right, I think that's the most beautiful approach you can take. Um, as we kind of start to wrap up this main episode, I want to start to ask about the way in which kind of somebody comes in and they're trying that one thing that's new. And but from the service standpoint, we talked about training a little bit, having people come in. And, and I talked about my experience with my server and how excited she was to learn these new wines. You will have people inevitably. This is the hospitality world who will have an opinion. It will be a negative one. They will have a thought and they want to be heard on it. When somebody comes in and they're experiencing a wine or they don't see a wine they love on the list, how do you guide your staff through training to kind of help them, to navigate them towards something new? Oh, you love this kind of big, oaky Chardonnay. Well, let us hold your hand and we'll we'll guide you this way. How do you guys go about that? Because again, with wine, people have opinions. So I'm curious how you guys handle a customer that may not see that preferred name on your list. That's a great question. And I think that the training is really fundamental there. It's really about ide identifying and understanding, you know, what the personality is of each of the selections on the glass and bottle list. And through understanding what that personality is um, of a couple of different wines, being able to kind of triangulate for the guest what it is that they're going to be most satisfied by. It's a truth that we're not always going to have the producer 
that you know a guest is seeking that they might uh, they might experience or purchase on a regular basis but it's all about our ability to translate what is similar comparable or, or potentially more interesting um than what they've had before and uh, i think it's really all about uh, a hospitality driven approach in the end we'll do anything that it takes to ensure that that guest is leaving that a 10 versus the five that they came in at and uh we'll we'll find a way and if we can't find a way that time then we'll find a way to get them back in the door to make it right the last thing I kind of wanted to ask about is I noticed on, you know, like you mentioned, that beautiful yellow menu that you're going to see with all the different options on there. It did say seasonal at the top. How often are you rotating through products? I mean, is it just kind of until the allocation runs out or are there certain flavors that you want to present based on? I, I'm using the term fast and loose seasons here because even in Phoenix and California, Texas, for that oh, matter, I mean, we're playing very fast and loose with the word yeah, seasons. Yeah. But when seasons do change, are there different flavors that you want to try to present guests? Yeah, we currently run a, a glass pour program that is, you know, seasonal based upon spring, summer, and then uh, fall, winter. So without question, we want to cover, you know, a broad array of styles and profiles and varietals and regions. But we do tend to, you know, adjust ever so slightly between those seasons to a little bit more richer or a little bit more, you know, light and fresh. And it might be that uh, there is more, you know, coastal influence on the spring summer program and more, you know, continental influence during the fall winter. Um, then to answer your other question, this change that happens, you know, every six months or so, there is a number of wines that are um, that are sunsetted and some new exciting ones brought on. But we're in this ever-changing flow of connecting with great winemakers and bringing new projects to fruition. I, I'm so excited about this Gruner Veltliner we've got coming uh, in the next couple of months. Um, so that there is this kind of uh, large change, and then there's just small adjustments that are always taking place. There's always something new to discover. That's excellent. Um, well, we're going to wind down this main episode. I am going to keep you around for a bonus episode because I have more questions. Uh, people can obviously go over to Patreon and check that out if they want. But Brent, in the meantime, if people wanted to learn more about the restaurant, if they wanted to set up a reservation, check out that menu, m learn more about yourself, et cetera, where can people do that at? You know, PostinoWineCafe.com would be a fantastic place to start, but also uh, Instagram at PostinoWineCafe. Let me make sure I've got that right. Is a fantastic route as well. There's some amazing content the team is putting up that really helps you um, make a connection with our culture. And obviously for anybody, if that isn't right for some reason, you can always check out the links in the show notes. Uh, Brent, I want to thank you so, so much for the time on this main episode. Like I said, I am going to keep you around for a bonus episode, but thank you so, so much. My experience could not have been better. I'm so happy that you guys are right in my backyard. If nothing else, it's going to save me a, a drive to Santa Barbara to get some of those bottles that I love so much. Awesome. Crawford, appreciate the time and uh, can't wait to enjoy a bottle of Santa Barbara wine together. Next 100%. Time. Thank you. Thank you once again for Brent for taking the time to hop on a call. Obviously, we did that over Zoom. Um, he was in Arizona at the time. He's been traveling a lot. I'm hoping to catch up with him when he is in here, where when he is here in person. But in the meantime, as I said, get over to Postino Wine Cafe. You're gonna have a great time. Check out some of these phenomenal wines from some of these really great producers, wherever they are from. Do not forget that you can get even more of me and Brent sitting down and talking all things wine by going to patreon.com and checking out those exclusive bonus episodes. Thank you to everybody that 
that does support over there. Thank you to the advertising partners on the show, everybody who makes this show possible. If you're listening on free feeds, I appreciate your support as well. Do not forget to check out the merchandise, the blog, and you can start submitting more stories for the new show. I know what you did last Sunday. Thank you very much, everybody. Make sure to tip your bartenders and your waiters, and I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Zarino Arino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sarah Hind, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez, Timothy. Thank you for your support.